of Matthew 5, verses 1 through 10. And then we're going to be focusing on one verse in particular tonight. All right. Verse number 1 says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. These have been labeled by many in the Christian community as the B-attitudes, the B-attitudes, the attitudes that a Christian ought to have. And we know this from Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And we're going to focus in on verse number 5 this evening. Look back at verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We're going to look at that idea of, meek, uh, of meekness. And the title of the, the message this evening is this, Wearing the Yoke of Meekness. Wearing the yoke of meekness. Meekness is not something preached on much. It's not a Christian trait that's emphasized much. Uh, but as I decided on what to, to, to preach on, teach on this evening, uh, I decided to bring a message on this because this is something I need. I need this in my life. I need this in my life right now. I need God to continually teach this to me. And so tonight I hope that that word meekness makes a little bit more sense to you when you walk out than when you came in, and I hope that we'll all commit to living a lifestyle of meekness, and we'll commit to wearing the yoke of meekness. Let's pray. God, help us tonight with this concept, this truth. Uh, Lord, it's a truth that you put in scriptures. It's an attribute, a trait of the Holy Spirit of God, a fruit of the Spirit of God. And so, Lord, help us to understand it. Help us to make sure we're living it. Show us, Lord, where we're wrong, and instruct us on how to live right. Lord, guide us. Guide me as I preach this sermon. May this sermon on meekness be preached with the spirit of meekness. And Lord, may we live here and back that up with our lifestyle. Thank you for everything we've already seen and experienced this evening and heard. Lord, move in our hearts. Help us to see uh, with spiritual eyes and hear with spiritual ears. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Occasionally you'll hear stories about Islamic terrorists that will go into a Christian church over in the Middle East or other extremist regions of the world and they'll go in with grenades or a, a bomb vest and they'll blow themselves up in the name of Allah. What is it that possesses someone to want to commit martyrdom in the name of a supreme being? What is it that causes someone to commit such a horrible act and do so in the name of God? 
Um, is it an ideology that someone has, um, uh, that someone has they think will please their God? Uh, for the Islamists in particular, is it the promise that if they commit martyrdom, if they die by way of martyrdom, that they'll receive an island or a planet with 70 celestial virgins? Could it be brainwashing from birth that would cause someone to strap up and blow themselves up, taking, if you will, quote-unquote infidels with them? I don't know what causes someone to do that. I can only speculate. But what I will say is that somewhere deep in the soul of every Islamic martyr is this idea that might makes right. Might makes right. We see this with other people in other areas as well. Many professional athletes live under the idea that might makes right because they're bigger and tougher and stronger and they can endure more and they can bench press more and they can throw a ball further or more accurate. Uh, They can hit a ball further. They can kick a ball further. That somehow might makes right, and that because they're strong, and they're stronger than everyone else around them, that might makes right. You see this in the political spectrum, where politicians who uh, are well um, connected, that they can make a phone call, and they can have pretty much whatever they want swept under a rug or taken care of. They uh, can open their mouth and speak and move people to a point of decision. And uh, the idea that for many politicians that might makes right. The stronger I am, uh, the more I wield that power, the more right I am. And then you see this pour out, unfortunately, in the area of the home where you have an abusive husband or an abusive father. And they think that because they're bigger and stronger than a woman, they can slap that woman around or push the kids around or threaten. They can bully and belittle and uh, be mean. They get the idea that somehow because they're stronger than, that makes them right, might Makes right. This, there is this false idea that permeates our society that the more power that you have, the better off you are. The more power someone has, the better off they are. And God does not call us as Christians to grab for and abuse power. But rather, He calls us to learn meekness. We are to learn Meekness. Now, let me just say, meekness is not natural. Meekness is not natural. Um, Meekness is given to the Christian who learns to submit his desires under the influence of the Holy Spirit. If I'm operating by my flesh, if I'm operating by how I'm born uh, and the culture I'm born into and what the culture teaches me, then what I'm going to want to do is grab for power and build that power for my advantage, in order to uh, in order to grow my name, or in order to advance through my causes. But the Holy Spirit says, "Whoa, hold on a minute! If you'll yield yourself to me, I will teach you 
meekness. Meekness. There are nine fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. The eighth one is meekness. And the ninth one is temperance. Meekness. Meekness is a fruit that you get in your life. It is not natural. The Holy Spirit teaches it to you. The Holy Spirit gives it to you. Once you yield yourself to Him, you can learn how to live uh, inside of the yoke of meekness. Now, let's run through five thoughts this evening on how to be blessed by a meek spirit. Take that prayer bulletin there on the back, fill in the blanks with me as we go, and I'm going to define meekness for you. I'm going to describe meekness to you. When you leave here this evening, you'll have a great idea of what meekness is and how to put it into practice. All right, here we go. Point number one, notice the definition of meekness, the definition of meekness. Back in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 5, we read, the Bible says, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Well, that's great. Uh, we need to define what it means to be meek uh, so that we can be blessed. Amen. I want God's blessings on me. I want God's goodness poured down on me. And so I need to understand what meekness is. Let me begin by defining what meekness is not. All right. Let me encourage you to write this down. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is not weakness. Some people say, well, you know, God says that women are to be of a meek and quiet spirit. And so that means that women don't have a backbone and they can just get pushed around and run over it. No, hold on a minute here. Meekness is not weakness. You're not giving up your backbone. You're not turning into a jellyfish. Uh, you're not a blob to get run over by any strong person in your life. Meekness is not weakness. Let me tell you what else meekness is not. Meekness is not being spineless. Meekness is not being spineless. It does not mean that you just have to go along with everyone around you and uh, just uh, let everyone run you over and you have to be everyone's doormat. That is not what it means to be meek. Uh, meekness is not peace at any cost. Peace at any cost. Another way of saying peace at any cost is, uh, that's the next one, Brother Joe, peace at any cost. Um, uh, it, it, another way of saying that is that meekness is not passivism. I heard a story about a guy who said he was a pacifist. He didn't believe in war. He didn't believe in fighting back. And so the guy hauled off and he just punched him in the nose. They were having a discussion about it. And the guy punched him in the nose. And he, he picked himself off the floor and he said, what did you do that for? He said, what is it you said you didn't believe in? He said, I don't believe in war. I'm a pacifist. The guy hauled off and punched him in the nose again and knocked him on the ground. The guy got up and said, why are you hitting me? Punched him in the nose again. After about the fifth time, the guy got up swinging. He said, now, nah, see, you don't believe in pacifism. Anyone that's hit hard enough eventually is going to swing back. And so um, uh, the idea that I'm meek, that means I cannot fight back. And that means that I will compromise. I will acquiesce. I will give in no matter what because I'm going to go along to get along. I'm never, ever, ever going to push back because I am a meek person. That is not Meekness. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is not being spineless. Meekness is not peace at any cost. What is meekness? Well, let's look at the biblical definition of meekness here. Meekness is lowliness of mind. Lowliness of mind. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 2. Ephesians 4. I'll give you a second to turn over there. Ephesians 4, 2. This is a Wednesday evening Bible study. So get those Bibles out turn those passages, give those fingers a workout tonight. Amen? Uh, some of you never work out, 
And so the least you can do is work those fingers out, turn those pages, get over there. I know my jokes are corny, but laugh at them anyway. Amen. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, find your way over there and look with me at verse number 2. I'm going to begin reading and we'll look at 2 Corinthians here in just a moment. Ephesians 4, 2 says, With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. And so Ephesians 4, 2 marries the two words, lowliness and and meekness together. Um, the enemy of meekness is pride. Pride says, I know what's best. I will run roughshod over everyone else. I must interject my opinion out there, even when it's not asked for, my way or the highway. And if not my way or the highway, I must at least make sure that my opinion is put out there and is strongly expressed. And uh, the Bible says that meekness is lowliness of mind. It's not thinking less of yourself, it's just not thinking of yourself at all. And you're willing to defer, you're willing to forbear uh, in a given situation because you are a man or woman of meekness. What is uh, meekness? Meekness is lowliness of mind. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 in your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter number 10 and verse 1, and we'll see that meekness is gentleness. Meekness is gentleness. Um, look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and look at verse number 1. Everybody there? The Bible says, Now I, Paul, myself beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you, but being absent and bold toward you. He, he, now we see here in 2 Corinthians 10 that meekness and gentleness are married together. So we see it's lowliness of mind, but we see that it's gentleness as well. Write this uh, phrase down if you can, and here is a good definition for meekness. Here it is. Meekness is strength under control. Meekness is strength under control. Uh, that's not going to be on the screen. Are you smart enough to remember that, to write that down? Meekness is strength under control. Let me illustrate meekness for you, okay? Meekness can best be understood by looking at a horse that has been broken or tamed. A horse that has been broken or tamed. If I take you out and show you a wild stallion, and I put you on the back of a wild stallion, he has power that is without control. He's going to buck and kick and throw you, and stomp on you, and step on you. If you get behind him, he's going to kick you real hard. He has no control. However, you take that same wild stallion, and you break that stallion, you tame that stallion, now all of a sudden, that same stallion is just as strong as he was before he was broken, but now that strength is under control. It is, it's, it's not that you have to give up your strength. It's not that you have to give up your backbone. It's not weakness. It's not uh, peace at any cost. Instead, it's lowly, lowliness of mind. It's gentleness. It's, it's power, but it's under control. Number one, we see the definition of meekness. Number two, let's notice Christ's display of meekness. Christ's display of meekness. Turn over to Matthew chapter 11 in your Bibles. Matthew chapter number 11. We described meekness as a tamed horse. Notice in Matthew 11 how that Christ uses this very analogy of a tamed horse or a tamed ox. An, uh, an ox 
or an animal of the field that knows how to get into a yoke and do as it's told. Look at Matthew chapter 11 and look at verse 29 and 30. The Bible says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek, meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. You see, the beginning of 29 says, Take my yoke, my yoke. That is a harness for a horse or ox. Look at verse 30. For my yoke, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is saying here that you are to take on the yoke of meekness. The yoke of meekness. Why? Uh, Because if you are a meek man or a meek woman, it does not mean that you're not strong. In fact, you put two ox in a harness or a yoke and send them out in a field, boy, that power under control can turn up the dirt clots and can prepare that field for a great harvest. That power is being put to use, but that power is controlled. It is power under control. Turn over to Matthew chapter 21 and verse number 5. Matthew Chapter 21 and verse number 5. Meekness is power under control. It's you in Christ's yoke doing the work of Christ, using the power, His power flowing through you. You're not giving up uh, your backbone. You're not spineless. You're not weak. But instead, your power under control. Matthew 21 verse 5 says, Tell ye the daughters of Sion, behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek. And sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. Jesus was God robed in flesh. We call that the incarnate Christ. Uh, God-man incarnate. He was an omnipotent, all-powerful God. How powerful was Jesus? He could touch the eyes of blind people and make them see. Wouldn't you like to see that happen right in front of you? Someone who's blind be given their sight back? That would be awesome. Wouldn't you like to see someone who's deaf here for the very first time, or someone who has been bedridden with uh, legs that don't work, stand up and leap up and go running right down the aisle of a church, that would be quite a church service to be part of. But how would you like to go to a funeral that was interrupted? How would you like to go to a funeral where uh, Jesus shows up and crashes the funeral and the dead man is now, or dead child is now living again? That's something. Jesus had all the power in the world, but Jesus was power under control. He was not recklessly wielding that power around and doing damage and harm. No, Jesus was all-powerful. But it says about the Messiah on that uh, Palm Sunday when He came riding into Jerusalem that He was described as a meek king riding on the back of an ass or a donkey. Uh, When Christ said in Matthew 5 that the meek would would inherit the earth, that must have confused a lot of people. The meek will inherit the earth? No. In human thinking and human logic, the powerful will inherit the earth. Those who wield their power, those who will cheat their way to the top, those who will elbow people in the mouth and step on top of others to achieve greatness, they will inherit the earth. And Jesus said, no, the meek will inherit the earth. The Jews, we know, lived under the oppression of the Romans. They had been hoping for someone who would come along and lead them into a revolution for independence and that this Christ would uh, come as a king, a, a, a political king. He'd come on a white stallion. He'd have a, a, a sword and he'd come wielding his power and with great power and might. He would destroy the Roman Empire. He would lead a national revolt and through great power, through 
a great display of, of earthly muscle. He would uh, reign supreme. But Jesus said, no, it won't be a man on a stallion that will inherit the earth. It will be a servant on a donkey in a spirit of meekness, a borrowed donkey at that, that will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Christ was the number one example of meekness. And the next time you think that you need to flex your muscle or your might and throw your weight around in order to get your way, just remember that Jesus was meek, He was a servant, and Jesus said, the meek shall inherit the earth. Not only did He say it, but He lived it. Number one, we see the definition of meekness. Number two, Christ's display of meekness. Notice number three, the defense of of the meek, the defense of the meek. I can already hear, take your Bibles over to Numbers chapter 12 and verse number 1. I can already hear the naysayers. Well, pastor, it's a dog-eat-dog world. And uh, if you don't stand up for yourself, then no one else will. And uh, pastor, if you don't defend your own honor, uh, then uh, you're going to be run over and you're going to be a uh, 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 roadkill left on the side of the road. You're going to get left in the dust and you have to stand up for yourself. And pastor, this meekness thing sounds good in principle, but is it applicable to real life? And I would say that just depends on how much you trust God to defend your honor. You see, the Bible says that the Lord will defend your honor if you walk in His steps. If you are meek, you will inherit the earth. Look at Numbers chapter 12. Let's see an example how that God steps in and defends the meek. Look at chapter 12 and verse 1. The Bible says, And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? They're questioning his authority. Hath he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses, look here, was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. So Moses was not going to defend his own honor. Moses had married a woman from Ethiopia. He was a Jewish man marrying a a Gentile, most likely a black woman. And so Moses is now in an interracial marriage. And uh, uh, his sister Miriam and his brother Levi were not real happy with that decision. They did not like this. And they spoke up against it and began to question his authority. Did Moses defend his own honor? No, he did not. Why? Because the Bible says he was very meek. He was very meek. Look at verse 4. And the Lord spake suddenly unto Moses and unto Aaron. I said Levi, I meant Aaron. Uh, The Lord spoke suddenly unto Moses and unto Aaron and unto Miriam. So you can see this, right? Like a dad calling his three little kids in to reprimand them, all right? Uh, God calls a meeting, right, with Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. I can hear him. Moses, Aaron, Miriam, get in here right now. Here they come. All right, Jesus has got some correcting to do. Jesus is going to defend Moses' honor. Look here, he, uh, back at verse 4. And the Lord spake suddenly unto Moses and unto Aaron and unto Marian, Come out, ye three, unto the tabernacle of the congregation. And they three came out. And the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Marian. And they both came forth. And he said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so, 
who is faithful in all mine house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches, and the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore, then, were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. And the cloud departed from off the tabernacle, and lo, or rather, and behold, Miriam became leprous, white as snow. And Aaron looked upon Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. Here are these two, Miriam, the instigator, starts to criticize as Moses starts to criticize Moses and his decision in a bride, and God takes up Moses' honor. Who defends the meek? God defends the meek. Well, I have to stand up for myself. Well, let's just rewind to Sunday evening's message about David and Nabal and Abigail. Remember? Nabal cheated David out of out of some sort of a payment, and David was going to avenge himself. Remember, Abigail made the plea to David, please don't do this, please don't do this. And God punished Nabal. God defended David's honor. Was David capable of going in and wiping out Nabal? Oh, yes, he was. David was a man of war. David had slain Goliath, and David had gone in and slain 200 men in order to have the the, uh, uh, king's daughter's hand. David was a man of great war, but David did not win the battle against Nabal by flexing his military might. David did not win that battle by being a wild stallion doing his own thing. No, David won the battle against Nabal when he humbled down and put on the cloak of meekness and let God defend his honor. And God did defend his honor. Now let me just say tonight, this is really easy to preach. It is not always so easy to live. It is really easy for me to stand up here and say, you wear the cloak of meekness. You put on the yoke of meekness. You be a man or woman of great meekness. You uh, uh, fight uh, the urge to stand up and defend your own honor and defend your own name. It's really easy for me to get up here and preach it, but let somebody come at you. Let somebody come at one of your children. Let somebody come at someone you love dearly. Let you be under attack. Let you have been wrong. And all of a sudden, the idea of backing up and letting God defend your honor, boy, that's where we get down to brass tacks. That's where the rubber hits the road. That's where we have to step back and say, am I really a man or woman who believes that the meek shall inherit the earth and that God will defend the meek? Or is that just fancy talk at church? that I throw out when things get tough. You see, when things get tough, that's when your Christian faith is really revealed. Because anybody can stand there and say, oh, I forgive, let someone hurt you deeply, and let's see how well you can forgive. Anybody can sit there and say, I believe in the peace of God, but let the biggest trial of your life hit you right between the eyes, and then we'll see how much you believe in the peace of God. Uh, when we go through these tough times and when our honor is really challenged, when we're truly under attack, when we've been smitten on one cheek, we'll find out whether or not we turn the other cheek or whether we take up our hands and try to defend our own honor. The Bible says that Christ will defend the meek and that the meek shall inherit the earth. Number one, we see the definition of meekness. Number two, Christ's display of meekness number three the defense of the meek notice number four we see the decoration of the meek the definite uh, the decoration of the meek we're coming up on memorial day this monday we remember 
those who fought to defend our country and paid the ultimate price on Memorial Day. And I love military. I love military garb. I love to see a military officer who is decorated with medals all over his uniform. And God will do the same to those who wear the yoke of meekness. Take your Bibles over to Psalm 149. Psalm 149. We see letter A, clothed with salvation. When we uh, walk in a spirit of meekness, God decorates the meek with the clothing of salvation. We're clothed with salvation. Psalm 149. And when you get there, look at verse number 4. Verse number 4. Love this verse. The Bible says, For the Lord taketh pleasure in his people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. He will beautify the meek with salvation. Um, I think of that little boy who was adopted by the king who had no children. Little boy, peasant boy. Family, dirt poor, lived in a one-bedroom house. Little boy only had a mom. Dad had died at young age. And he'd go out and play in the mud every day. And just, he loved life, but his, knew his, mom, his mom knew she was too poor to really give him any kind of a future. And they had a caste system society. And the king needed a young man to be the heir to his throne. And one day he saw this little boy in the mud and decided to adopt him. And the little boy moved into the palace of the king. and That little boy was given the, his own royal room and given his own royal set of clothes and a royal bed to sleep in and uh, went to a top-tier school and was taught the manners of royalty. He was being groomed to be the next king of this country. And after having been there for a year or two, uh, the butler noticed that each morning the young man took longer than he needed to get ready. And so one day the butler stood and looked through a crack in the door to see what was taking the little boy so long and noticed that he was in the habit of taking off his royal pajamas and reaching into the bottom drawer of his, of his dresser and putting on his old rag-tagged clothes that he wore. And, and he'd stand there in the mirror and look and tears would run down his cheeks and after a few minutes he would take off those clothes and put on his royal robes to prepare for breakfast. And the butler knocked on the door and the young man was startled by the whole thing and he said, young man, I don't understand why you continue to put on the old clothes, the old uh, garb. Uh, you now have royal robes and you don't have to worry about that anymore. And the little boy says, I just don't ever want to forget where I came from. I don't want to forget where I came from. Sometimes I think as Christians we become so aloof to the fact that we're saved that it just becomes uh, something we almost yawn at. Yeah, I'm on my way to heaven. Yeah, Jesus saved me. Uh, listen, I got saved when I was four years old. I've been saved uh, 34 plus years. I praise God for my salvation, but I really don't remember life honestly before getting saved. We were going around the table at my home um, a couple of weeks back, and we were asking everyone at the table, what's the earliest memory that you remember? And uh, April said, I remember being born. And she's just being silly, right, being funny. And we laughed and had a good time at that. And uh, obviously she, that wasn't her first memory. Then she shared what her true 
first memory was there. And I got to thinking back what my first memory was. And, and this isn't just fancy talk. This is the honest truth. My earliest memory was the night I got saved. That's the earliest memory I have back to being a four-year-old boy. I remember the night I got saved. I remember the events of that day quite well and what happened. That's my earliest memory. But see, what can happen with someone like me is you get saved at such a young age and it almost becomes old hat. It becomes something that you yawn at. and It becomes something that ceases to be special to you. But my friend, when you remember what the Lord saved you from, what you, when you stop and remember what your life could have been, how wrecked and ruined you could have been, and you realize that the love of Jesus reached down deep and grabbed you out of the pit of despair and saved you from a life of destructiveness and put your feet on a path to heaven, you stop and realize, I have been clothed by the most meek man in the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. He has clothed me with salvation. I look at what Jesus has done for me and I can't help but stop and be overwhelmed with emotion that the God of all creation would look down at a wretched sinner such as I and robe me, wrap me in the robes, the royal robes of heaven. And you understand that when you walk, please don't miss what I'm about to say, when you walk by a spirit of meekness, when people look at you and they see that the Spirit of God has taken the rough edges off your personality, They see that the Spirit of God has turned you into a tender-hearted person who knows how to be that power under control. You don't explode at people when you don't get your way. uh, You're not sharp with people. You're not pointed with your responses. But there's a grace about you. There's a meekness about you. People look at that and they can see the robes of salvation that you wear quite well. I'm afraid that many times people look at the average Christian and they say, if that's what... Christianity is, uh, I think I'm I'm, I'm good. I'm all set. No, thank you. They ought to look at you when you go through a hardship in your life and they ought to say, that's a meek soul right there. Do you see the way the boss talked to him? Do you see the way he responded? Wow. I could have never responded that way. You know what you're doing? You're wearing the cloak of meekness, the garb of salvation, you're wearing it with class. People look at you and say, if that's what being a Christian is, that's what I want. I've heard a lot of independent Baptist preachers preach against lifestyle evangelism. And they say, it's not lifestyle evangelism. Get out there and preach it with your mouth. It's not how you live. It's it's what you say. And I would say, incorrect. It is both. It is both. Uh, A lot of people go out and they're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, but their lifestyles are broken and wretched, and the world looks at the way we live and they say, well, listen, you're giving the right message with your mouth, but you're not backing it up with your life. I don't want, if that's what Christianity is, I don't want anything to do with it. I want people to look at my lifestyle and say, boy, look at the way he goes through a hardship. Look at the way he handles difficulty. Look at the way he's been unjustly treated. And look at the way he responds. There is something supernatural about that. Whatever he has, boy, I want a big helping of that right there. I want people to look down at my life, and you ought to want people to look down at your life and say, they're clothed with the beauty of meekness. They're clothed with salvation. Not only 
are we clothed with salvation, letter B, we see that we're crowned with joy. We're crowned with joy. Turn over to Isaiah chapter number 29 and look at verse number 19. Isaiah 29. Verse number 19. I'll give you just a moment to turn over there. I want people to look down at those who attend this church and say those are some men and women right there. They walk in a spirit of meekness. There's power under control. By the way, while you're finding your way over there, anybody can respond in the flesh, right? Uh, you're like that wild stallion, right? Don't sit on my back. Man, person goes flying off, right? Instead, we're, we're a tamed, our flesh is tamed, right? What did Paul say? He said we're to mortify the deeds of the flesh. And then he said that our flesh is to be quickened or made alive by the Spirit of God. We're to die to ourselves daily so that the Spirit of God can use our flesh to accomplish a greater work. When you are able to deny your flesh, instead of replying sharply when someone is unkind in your direction or, 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 or asserting your, yourself in pride to get your way or, or stepping out there and being sharp and mean and strong, no, you back up and say, Listen, I, I want to do this the Lord's way. I'm going to do it with power under control. I'm going to respond in the most Christ-like manner possible. And not only with what I say, but how I say it. And my body language behind it. Crowned with joy. Look, with, uh, look at Isaiah 29. Look at verse 19. The Bible says, The meek also shall increase their joy in the Lord, and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. Again, the world's philosophy is this. If you don't look out for yourself, then nobody will. If you don't look out for yourself, nobody will. Um, they would say something like this. If you don't uh, 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 grasp and claw your way to the top of life, then you're just going to end up being a loser. The world would say, if you don't look out for number one, then you're sure to be miserable. But the amazing truth is, the more comfortable you get wearing Christ's yoke of meekness, the more joyous you become. The more joyous you become. Listen, when you learn to put others ahead of yourself, you learn to put Jesus ahead of others in yourself, what you find is that the joy of Jesus floods in your heart. Many Christians do not understand the concept of joy because they are addicted to happiness. Are you listening tonight? Happiness and joy are two opposites of each other. Happiness is Satan's counterfeit for joy. Watch this. Someone says money can't buy happiness. And I say, yes, money can buy happiness. If you were to go out and buy your favorite car right now, you can't tell me you wouldn't be happy. You know what enabled you to be able to buy that car that made you happy? Lots and lots of money. Yeah. Some of you here have a repair in your home that needs to be done. And it's been an ongoing thing. And you know why you haven't repaired it yet? Because you need money. And someone gives you that money and it gets repaired. And you know what? You watch that get repaired and you're happy. People say money can't buy happiness. I say yes it can. But what money can't buy is it can't buy joy. It can't buy joy. Uh, happiness is brought about, watch this, from an external stimuli. Right? You get a new smartphone. External stimuli, right? Get a new car, right? 
You get a new watch. You get a new suit. Ladies, you get a new handbag or purse. Right? External stimuli. You know where joy comes from? Internal stimuli. When I learn to submit my heart to the Lord and walk by faith and the Spirit of God to call the shots within me, guess what? I am at peace with my God and I can enjoy joy. I can know what it means to have joy. And you know what? My dishwasher might break. My car might give up the ghost. I might get in an accident. I might have a problem. But you know what I can do? I can keep on smiling because while all those things go wrong, I'm not dependent on happiness. I'm dependent on joy. True joy is given to those who walk in a spirit of meekness. When you learn to be robed in in meekness and you learn to be crowned by meekness, then you know what it means to be clothed with salvation and crowned with joy. I conclude by looking at number five. Notice the dividends of the meek. The dividends of the meek. Go back to Matthew 5 where we began tonight. Matthew 5 and verse number 5. All right, Pastor, you've talked about meekness. We now understand what it is. You've defined it. You've showed how Christ displayed it. You've explained that the Lord will defend us. You've talked about how it makes us look. But, Pastor, what is the payoff on being meek? What do I get out of this? Well, that's really not the right question. But let's answer it anyway. Matthew chapter 5. And look at verse 5. The Bible says, Blessed are the meek. Can we read the rest of that verse together? Here we go. Blessed are the meek. Here we go. For they shall inherit the earth. Here's the cool part. And this ties into what we've been studying in Isaiah. During the thousand year reign of Christ, Jesus will sit on the throne in Jerusalem and He will be the world's political king. Could it be that God will choose those who best learn how to wear the, the yoke of meekness during this life? And then He's going to choose them to attain and sit in the highest positions of power in that thousand year reign? I have a sneaking suspicion that's exactly how it's going to work. God is going to pick the Christians. Can I just tell you that some of the Christians who are going to hold a high position in the kingdom of heaven, will have never stood behind a pulpit, will have never taught a class, will have never had anybody know their name. But God knows their name, and God saw the way they lived their life, and God saw the meekness they were uh, robed in, and God saw the fact that every day they got up, and they read their Bible, and they spent sweet time with God in prayer, and they went to work, and they had a great attitude toward the Lord, and they treated others with gentleness. They walked about forbearing others, and with lowliness of mind, and they climbed in the yoke of meekness, and they did the work of the Lord. I'm talking about people who work bus routes. I'm talking about people who clean church buildings. I'm talking about people who made meals for people who were sick. I'm talking about people who wrote sympathy cards. I'm talking about people who loved on the unfortunate, who helped the downtrodden. Uh, One day, when God's handing out power uh, in the millennial reign, during the thousand-year reign, and He's selecting people to help Him rule and reign, boy, there's going to be some people that rise to the top that never held the position of pastor or evangelist or missionary. There's going to be some people who serve God greatly in that kingdom because they lived in anonymity in their life, but God knew exactly who they were. And God knew exactly what they were doing. And God knew exactly uh, how they lived their Christian life. Perfect? No. No. Humble and meek? 
every effort was made. It very well could be that people of meekness on this side of the millennial reign will be people of great power on the other side of the millennial reign. Let me just say on more of a practical note that you inherit the ability. I hope you don't miss this. I'm almost done. Look up here. You inherit the ability to control those within your world when you live by a spirit of meekness. You know what meekness says? Meekness says I'm more, in, I'm more uh, concerned with influencing you to do right than trying to make you do right. There's, there's a concept buried in this truth of meekness that at about, at, let's see here, about 10 years ago changed my life. Here it is. Learn to influence people instead of trying to control people. Learn to influence people instead of trying to control people. You know, here's the thing about influence. Not everyone wants your influence. But people who choose to let you influence them, boy, you're going to have a lot more success getting them to change than you are if you try to reach in people's lives and control them. You will come to church. You will go soloing. You will do this. You will do that. You will stop talking that way. No, 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 no. You love on people and you encourage them. When they come around you, you work to influence them. You work to demonstrate to them within your own life how they are to live. And you know what? That meekness causes you to inherit the ability to control your own world because people now look to you for that influence. You show me someone who's wielding power and and pushing people around, elbowing people in the mouth and clawing and grasping their way to the top, I'll show you someone who's miserable. I'll show you someone who no one loves. You show me someone who's meek and kind and gentle. I'll show you someone who reaps what they sow. Proverbs 15, 1 says, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. When I'm working with a child, and that child is screaming and hollering and pitching a fit, you know what I do? I get down real low on one knee. And I look them in the eyes. And the louder they get, the quieter I get. And the quieter I get. And the quieter I get. And that soft answer brings that wrath down. Some of you here have some angry people in your life. The louder they get, the softer you get. You know what it takes for you to be able to do that? It takes you being in the yoke of meekness. It takes you saying, I'm not going to match your anger with my anger. I'm not going to fight fire with fire. I'm going to fight a fire with the water of the Word of God. I'm going to fight fire with the Spirit of God flowing in me and through me. My friends, might is not right. Has your spirit been tamed like a horse? Or are you bucking and out of control? Are you wearing Christ's yoke of meekness? Boy, at some point within the next week or so, God's going to send a difficult problem in your life, that something that's going to tick you off. And you're going to have a chance to see how tamed that spirit really is. Lord, put us in the yoke of meekness. Help us to wear that yoke of meekness. Let's have our heads bowed nice closed this evening.
Every head bowed, every eye closed. Gentleness, lowliness of mind, power under control. Not a doormat, not spineless, not a pacifist, but a tender spirit. Why don't you take a moment right where you are right now and just ask God to help give you a true spirit of meekness. And I'll close this in prayer in just a moment. Lord, thank you for a chance to do a Bible study on meekness. Thank you, Lord, that your word is so applicable to the emotions that we experience on an everyday basis. Lord, the next time someone's nasty our direction or unkind our direction, may we respond wrapped, robed in the beauty of salvation with the crown of joy in our head. May we trust you to defend us when others are trying to take advantage of us. And Lord, may people look at us and be Lord, desirous of the salvation that we have. Lord, help us to be people who are meek. May we experience the blessings promised in Matthew 5 as a result. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.